Well, I am so glad you joined us today. And we've got some meaningful online gatherings planned for the next six weeks as we unpack some of the revolutionary concepts that Christ brought to earth. Now we've titled the, the series, A Better Way, because following after Jesus provides us a better path for a better journey to a better destination. And today we open by standing at the gateway to that better path, the gate known as repentance. Because in order for any of us to get on the path Jesus has for us, we must all walk through this gate, the repentance gate. Now, I want to start by giving you a quick definition of repentance, uh, uh, and then we'll come back to it later and unpack it. Uh, the word repent simply means to turn away, to change direction. Now, I didn't understand this for many years, and I don't know about you, but uh, hearing the word repent can make me shudder even today. The problem with this word is that if you grew up in church like I did, you heard the word repent a lot. I figured out later that church, for me anyway, uh, for all the good that could be found back then, uh, with youth group retreats to the San Juan Mountains of Southern Colorado or potlucks featuring Sister Metzger's biscuits made from scratch, Church also had some negative elements. It could uh, sometimes become an environment saturated with, with guilt and, and even shame. Summertime met youth camp where every night the preacher was bound and determined to get every one of us saved or resaved before we went home on Saturday. Back home in the fall or spring, evangelists would visit, preaching at our church every night for a week. These preachers were gifted at hanging us all over hell with, with a broken stick. Uh, it was a hallmark of Pentecostal preaching to get us all to the altar, confessing our many sins to God with great remorse. Well, as a boy, I was a sucker for all this, convinced that every convicting, every convicting sermon preached was directed at sinful old Steve. I mean, I could be made to feel guilty enough to repent even if I had just repented in last night's service. One year, I was, I was saved six times during a seven-night revival. Uh, it would have been seven, but I had to stay home one night babysitting my little sister. Uh, all this to say that as a teenager, I pictured a God who loved me, but uh, one who was continually disappointed in me, in my failure to successfully fight temptation. My prayers were always the same, uh, just telling God how sorry I was for being such a loser. Uh, I was caught in a never-ending weekly sin cycle that culminated every Sunday with me being very sorry and promising God I'd do better in the coming week. Now, for those of you who were raised Catholic, confession was a conversation you had not with God, but with a priest. You would enter your side of the confessional booth and tell him all the bad stuff you had done lately, and then he would forgive your sin and prescribe penance. I talked to my friend this week who was raised Catholic, and she said that when she was a girl, uh, she would go to confession and, and make up stuff she hadn't even done so that she would have a lot to confess. So whether you're raised Protestant, Orthodox, or Catholic, 
you could easily have developed a pattern, a repeated cycle of sin, then confession. Sin, then confession. Sin, then confession. Repeat, repeat, repeat. So I want you to know, this is not what I'm talking about today. Today, instead of heaping on the guilt to get you to repent, I'll be talking about this beautiful, freeing process where the Holy Spirit, not the preacher, convicts you of any wrong things you actually are doing. You realize that your behavior is hurting you. It's hurting others. It's hurting God. So you respond by confessing it all to him. And then the Holy Spirit gives you strength to change your direction and fight temptation. If you stumble, you get back up, expressing true remorse. You confess it again to God and then move forward again in the strength of his Holy Spirit to resist temptation next time. Well, confession and repentance are something we all need to do in order to be freed up. You know, I remember as a little boy, uh, when I would admit what I had done to my parents and agree with them that it was bad, even if I experienced discipline, I ultimately felt relieved to get it all out in the open. Trouble with bad behavior is that until it's called out and dealt with, it buries us in guilt and shame. Sometimes keeping the secret is a way worse consequence than confessing it, even if there are consequences. So whether you were raised in and around church culture or, 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 or that this is all new to you, I know that we have this one thing in common. All of us have regrets. All of us long for do-overs. We crave a fresh start. That's what's so wonderful about confession and repentance. Because the Bible says that God's mercies are new every morning. For the believer who is walking in, in confession and repentance regularly, uh, each day provides us a fresh start, a new opportunity to get it right. All right, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 3, where a crowd is gathered on the banks of the Jordan River to hear from a preacher named John. Matthew 3, verse 1, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Verse 5, people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on Jesus. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And this is how Jesus started his ministry. When he came to earth, he came offering grace and mercy, healing, and the forgiveness of sins. He offered a much better way to people like these people gathered at the river that day. His plan was to change their lives forever. 
to change the lives of generations to come. Jesus knew that the gateway to all of these life changes was found in this one word, repentance. Jesus knew what John knew, that an unrepented person could never enter into the better way. Before anyone could fully receive mercy from God, they had to fully recognize their, their need for mercy. Before they could be cleansed from sin, they would have to confess that sin, turn away from it with a clear understanding of just how toxic their behavior, their behavior had been. And until they did that, they simply were not in a position to receive the grace, the mercy, the new life that Jesus was offering. Until they were standing in the waters of repentance, they would never really see Jesus. They would never really hear Jesus, whose father said to the crowd that day, this is my only son, listen to him. When you think about it, no one in Jerusalem heard God's voice that day. No one up in the Galilee identified Jesus for who he really is. Only the repentant experienced it. Well, that's exactly the same for us today. Only the repentant see Jesus for who he is. No one can ever truly embrace the good without first rejecting the bad. It is only in turning from sin that we can fully turn to Jesus. Only then does the gate open for the journey ahead into the great life God has planned for us. And this is the first thing I hope you remember from what I will share today. Repentance is the gateway to the better path. Say that with me. Repentance is the gateway to the better path. It's so important that we understand this. In over 40 years of ministry, I've met many people who think they can add Christ to their lives, receiving his mercy without changing their behavior much. They fully expect God's blessing on what they do. They pray expecting God to come through for them, not knowing that God cannot, God will not bless an unrepentant life. So let's take a closer look now at this word and its sister word, the word confess. Now the word confess simply means agree. Con means with, fess means speak. When you put them together, it means to say the same thing. To confess sin to God is to agree with God about that sin. He says that our destructive behaviors are hurting us and hurting others. He says that it hurts him as well to see us living so far below who we could be. And we simply agree. That's confession. The Apostle John writes, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, stop there. What does the word confess mean? It means that we agree with God about our sin. So here's what John is saying. If we agree with God about our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Wow, God makes a great offer here. Just agree with him about how destructive and foolish your behavior has, has, has been, and he will forgive it all. So that's the meaning of the word confess. How about the word repent? Well, as I said at the beginning of this talk, the word repent simply means to turn away or to change direction. 
Now, I figured out later that in my early years as a believer, I didn't really repent because I thought repentance meant being really sorry for letting God down again. Sometimes when I prayed, I could even work up some tears to show God just how sorry I was. But repentance isn't about crying. It's about changing. Those of us who are parents have all had that child who was quick to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But we knew they were mainly sorry they got caught. Uh, they were mainly sorry there would be consequences. But being truly sorry is more than that, isn't it? In the same way, confession to God and the repentance that follows is not some emotional outpouring of sorrow we drag ourselves through to prove our regrets to God. Repentance is, is more than being really sorry because being sorry doesn't accomplish anything. Uh, we actually have to stop doing those things we say we are sorry for. Until we're ready to make that U-turn, there is no amount of being sorry that matters. Like John the Baptist says, we must bear the fruit of repentance. In other words, our repentance must bear fruit of different behaviors. Now, that's a process for all of us. Uh, many of us, uh, our old ways are so embedded in our behaviors, it can be two steps forward and, and one step back for quite a while. But remember, God looks at your heart. So when you confess your sin and you agree with God about it, when you repent and you really mean it and you're trying those new behaviors with the power of the Holy Spirit, you are going to stumble and you are going to fall. But when you stumble and you fall, don't fall back into some kind of shameful self-accusation. Just confess it again and ask God again for his help. Get back up, back on the path, and keep moving forward. But as I evaluate this word into the context of us in 2020, there's another problem with repentance. Uh, there's an obstacle here that we must overcome. Because we become a generation that's great at blaming someone else and not so great at taking the blame. Few people are willing to take the blame for their own actions. Or if they do admit responsibility, they want it to be shared. Yes, they'll say, I did do the wrong thing, but so did they. And what they did was far worse than anything that I did. Well, I owe it to you to tell you that Jesus never called anyone to confess someone else's sins. Jesus wants us to completely own what we have done and then be willing to let him change us whether or not that other person ever admits their guilt. So when we confess our sins, we don't defend our actions in any way. Confession is like a true apology. I mean, if you've heard someone offer you a weak apology, I mean, they might have said, oh, well, I'm sorry if you were upset. Or they might say, I'm sorry it happened, as if they're not the one that made it happen. Or they might say, I'm sorry I did it, but this is why I did it. None of those apologies are enough. A real apology, like true confession, just says, I'm truly sorry for what I did. It's my fault. 
To be honest, as I prepared this sermon, I also had to wonder if many of you would assume that I was talking to someone else when I preached repentance. Uh, I, I was wondering if by this point in the sermon, you'd be thinking of some person or group out there that you see as needing to change. I mean, we all talk about how messed up this world is, and we all believe that there are some bad people out there who should repent. But to think that we are those people can be completely foreign to us. I think it's hard for most of us to admit our need for repentance. We resist facing the fact that we are the sinner Jesus came to save. Maybe it's just easier to compare what we have done or continue to do with what other people have done, leading us to conclude that they are worse. So we're probably okay. Friends, let's be clear. Jesus did not come to this planet and pay the ultimate sacrifice because most of us are okay. The New Testament says that outside of receiving Christ, none of us are okay. And confession of that fact, combined with repentance, is the narrow gate that we must all walk through if we want to follow after Christ. Once we admit that what we have done was toxic, once we confess the destructive uh, behaviors that have hurt us, hurt others, and hurt God, then and only then can we feel the burden come off of us as Jesus himself takes our confession and then sends his Holy Spirit to empower us to turn away from sin and resist temptation. So let's review. Confession is agreeing with God about our toxic behaviors. Repentance is when we turn away from those behaviors. And this is the gate to the path Christ wants to take us on. It's not the tears of remorse that save us. We have to do more than feel guilty. Confession is proved real when we stop justifying, blaming, and making excuses. And repentance is proved when we reject sin and start choosing a better path, one that is moving in the right direction. Years ago, I spent a summer with a couple of buddies from college, David and Doug. We took our finals and loaded our suitcases into a van the school had loaned us, and we set off to work at church camps in Oregon, Montana, Utah, Colorado, and California. Monday through Friday, we were with hundreds of teenagers, and then on the weekends, we drove to the next camp. We decided early on that instead of wasting money on hotels, we would just pocket the per diem and drive straight through to the next camp. But we learned the hard way that Doug didn't like reading maps. He also didn't like admitting he was lost. I'll never forget waking up after a few hours sleep to find that as, as we slept, Doug had gotten us hopelessly lost. Wow, uh, we had traveled in the wrong direction for about 200 miles. The maddening thing was that Doug knew he was lost. He suspected he was driving the wrong way, but he was too proud to wake us and ask for help, too proud to stop and ask anyone directions. He just kept driving the wrong way, hoping that somehow things would work out. We all three suffered from his unwillingness to change direction. Well, that's like us when we try to live the Christian life without repenting, without making that all-important U-turn. Some of us try to maintain the course we were on before Jesus. We liked our old direction and basically just wanted Jesus to come along with us and bless it. But friend, Jesus joined you 
because without him, you would continue heading down the wrong road. And if you don't pull over and let him turn your life around, you'll never arrive at the better destination and you will arrive at a terrible destination. You have to let God change your life's direction. This isn't easy. You have to turn away from sin and turn towards righteousness. True repentance leads a person to say, I've sinned. I was wrong. And then, and, and I'm going to prove it with a 180 degree change of direction. Repentance is not asking the Lord for forgiveness without the intention to change. Repentance is an honest, regretful acknowledgement of sin with a commitment to change. Come to find out, you're never too old, never too far gone to change. I've seen this in myself, and I've seen it in so many of you. As you have confessed that your old ways were the wrong ways, as, as you have repented of those old behaviors, your mind, which drives your actions, has been transformed. Listen to the Apostle Paul on this. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Once our minds are transformed, our behaviors change, and we begin to enjoy a better life. What's fascinating is this is where science and religion are in total agreement these days. It's been over 20 years since they figured out uh, what the New Testament has been saying all along. The term that is used constantly now among cognitive psychologists, some, sometimes called brain scientists, is neuroplasticity. The word itself speaks of a brain that can be reshaped, reprogrammed at any time in a person's life. Now, up until 20 or 30 years ago, the adult brain was viewed like, like a hard drive. Uh, it was thought that the older a person got, the hard drive could only store so much. And after a while, it couldn't be rewired. Turns out, our brains aren't like that at all. They are less like hard drives and more like software programs that can be, even want to be, updated and repaired. Cognitive psychologists do the work of helping people become aware of what they are thinking in any given moment. Using words like mindfulness, they encourage people to observe themselves in every situation, how they are feeling, what they are thinking, what they are experiencing in every passing moment. Mindfulness is the intentional and consistent confession of the way things really are, both good and bad, pleasant and unpleasant. Mindfulness learns to resist the temptation of distraction. Even if a thought or memory or an experience is unpleasant, mindfulness identifies the present reality for what it is and then sits with it for a while. Well, the Bible calls this taking every thought captive, both good thoughts and bad. Any person who is mired in shame can change, starting with an honest inventory and leading to confession as they forgive themselves of past mistakes. They can repent of that, receiving forgiveness from God and others, and even forgive themselves. They can learn more loving self-talk as they begin to see themselves like God sees them. The heart of biblical mindfulness 
is to confess who we really are and what we have really done, but not to stay there forever. We repent, and as we repent, we receive mercy and grace. If a person can recognize and then reject toxic thoughts, they can replace those thoughts over time with the truth. In essence, offering the brain software a much needed fix. One that challenges any shaming thought with the truth that we have been completely forgiven. So many times I have found myself regretting the past, but not resolving the past. Confession, repentance, and the acceptance of mercy from God himself resolves the past once and for all. That's what makes repentance such a beautiful thing as we intentionally dispose of the guilt from behaviors we have repented of and embrace the abundant life Jesus offers. I find that honest confession combined with real repentance is the fastest track to emotional health. Like the New Testament therapist, the Apostle Paul wrote to the believers in Corinth, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, fortunately for us, the Bible includes some powerful stories of what true repentance looks like. My favorite is the toughest one. It's King David's repentance. When confronted after a terrible set of sins, he responded well. Now, I have to warn you, if you're not familiar with this sad story, uh, this guy David fell very hard. He blew it big time. Just reading the story is shocking when we see what the supposedly good man was capable of. Murder. Adultery. All right, I'll give you the cliff notes on 2 Samuel 11, but you'll want to read the whole thing where David forced Bathsheba, the wife of his loyal commander, to go to bed with him. When she sent word that she was pregnant, David brought her husband Uriah off the battlefield, hoping that Uriah would sleep with his wife and later assume the baby was his. When that plan failed, David conspired for Uriah to be mysteriously killed in battle. After that, David brought Bathsheba to the palace and married her, preparing to raise their son. What a mess! But then God spoke to the prophet Nathan, who came to David, telling him of God's punishment for David's sin. David then confessed the sin and began to repent. But there were consequences, including the death of the infant son. It was a painful experience, to say the least. But we learn a lot from David's repentance from what he writes. David writes in Psalm 32, how joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. David reflects on the time before his confession in verse, verse 3 when he says, Before I confessed, when I kept silent, keeping the secret, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer heat. Notice how his own unconfessed sin afflicted him, affected him emotionally, even physically. You know, it's the same with any of us. 
We continue in sin, but we wonder why we feel so spiritually lethargic. We, we wonder why we react to life and to other people the way that we do. It's because there are unresolved, unconfessed sins there. Instead of confessing these things, we've tried to hide them. David goes on. Then he says, I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you took away the guilt of my sin. Wow, what a relief that would have been. David writes about this also in Psalm 51, a poem he wrote soon after Nathan confronted him, where he says, Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. Wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin, for I'm conscious of my rebellion. My sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. You're right when you pass sentence. You're blameless when you judge. Did you see that, how David just throws himself at the mercy of a righteous judge, making no excuses for himself? Purify me, he says, with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit with me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and give me a willing spirit, saving me from the guilt of bloodshed. And then my tongue will sing of your righteousness. You do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You're not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart. Well, let's close with that. And with the awareness that many of us need to spend some time with God today. Let me ask you this. Is the Holy Spirit speaking to you about unconfessed or unrepentant sin in your life? Have you slipped back into old behaviors that are really toxic? Or maybe lately you've discovered uh, sin that you didn't previously identify. You know, I encourage you to take this message for, to heart. It wasn't preached to someone else. It was preached to you. I want you to give it all to the Lord, confessing it with, with no justification, without defending yourself. I want to ask you to repent of it, asking God to help you change. If that's you, I encourage you to take a walk with God today. Go sit somewhere by yourself and confess it all to the Lord. You know, He wants you to experience freedom today, but you have to talk to Him about it. You have to get it off your chest. You have to repent of it. After that, it'd be good for you to follow James' advice when he wrote, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. I wonder if you have a family member or friend that you could speak honestly to and say, you know, Pastor Steve preached this sermon today and it's heavy on my heart some things I need to, I need to talk about. Listen, um, if that's you, uh, you could also text me right now. 
Um, text these words to this number. And when you do that, I'll respond and I'll pray for you personally. Uh, you can also reach out for support uh, by following these instructions. And, and you'll find Cornerstone pastors and leaders offering you all the support that you need. But until then, let me pray for you now. Father, even as I've preached this sermon, I have felt the power of your Holy Spirit knowing that you are convicting hearts of sin because you love us, not because you want to judge us, not because you want us to feel bad or to feel shame. As a matter of fact, you want us to get all that out so that you can deal with it. You want us to confess it without any defending ourselves, without any justification, without any blaming others, to just own it. And you want us to repent of it, to turn around and quit going down that path. As we go through the gates of repentance, Lord, we pray that you would meet us there because we really do need the power of your Holy Spirit. Temptation is very strong, and it has drug us down many times and hurt us deeply. Things that we have said and done have hurt ourselves, they have hurt others, and they've hurt you. But Lord, we pray that as your mercies are new every morning, so would the infilling power of your Holy Spirit be new every morning so that we could succeed as we battle against sin in our lives. Father, we just pray that uh, everyone at Cornerstone would experience a, a revival of hope as they get these things off their chest and they, re they, they, they confess them. And even as they even share with other people that it just feels so much better to, to, that, that you know and that everyone knows and that and it's over. We're going to live and walk in newness of life. Father, we just pray that you would push back the accuser who would come and say, you're still a bad person. You're still not worthy. If people knew what you had done, if people knew who you really are, they wouldn't respect you. Lord, we just pray that we would trust one another more than that, and we pray that we would trust you. Now change us into the image of your Son, Jesus, we pray. In Christ's name, and everyone said, Amen.